This is a True Foundations podcast. Real time, real life, real answers. We're in Joshua chapter 6. I'm going to read a whole chunk here because it's all about Jericho. We know the story well. Uh, and I'm not going to focus on the story itself, but we need to read it. We need to get the whole picture. I want us to be thinking about this is a nation now moving into a new land. Uh, the land that God had prepared for them. It's kingdom theology. But what can we learn from it? What is God saying? Not just to Israel, but what's he saying to us today as his people whose desire is to be kingdom people? That's what we need to learn. So here we go. Now Jericho was strongly fortified because of the Israelites, no one leaving or entering. The Lord said to Joshua, Look, I have handed Jericho, its king, its fighting men over to you. March around the city with all the men of war, circling the city one time. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry seven ram's horns trumpets in front of the ark. But on the seventh day, march around the city seven times while the priests blow the trumpets. When there is a prolonged blast of the horn and you hear its sound, have all the people give it a mighty, give a mighty shout. Then the city wall will collapse and the people will advance, each man straight ahead. So Joshua, son of Nun, summoned the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and have seven priests carry seven trumpets in front of the Ark of the Lord. He said to the people, Move forward, march around the city and have the armed troops go ahead of the ark of the Lord. After Joshua had spoken to the people, seven priests carrying seven trumpets before the Lord, moved forward and blew the trumpets. The ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. While the trumpets were blowing, the armed troops were in front of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard went behind the ark. But Joshua had commanded the people, do not shout or let your voice be heard. Don't let one word come out of your mouth until the time I say shout. Then you are to shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the city, circling it once. They returned to the camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning. The priests took the ark of the Lord and the seven priests carrying seven trumpets marched in front of the ark of the Lord. While the trumpets were blowing, the armed troops went in front of them, and the rear guard went behind the Ark of the Lord. On the second day, they marched around the city once, returned to the camp. They did this for six days. Early on the seventh day, they started at dawn and marched around the city seven times in the same way. That was the only day they marched around the city seven times. After the seventh time, the priests blew the trumpets, and Joshua said to the people, Shout! For the Lord has given you the city, but the city and everything in it are set apart to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and everyone with her in the house will live, because she hid the men we sent. But keep yourselves from these things set apart, or you will be set apart for destruction. If you take any of those things, you will set apart the camp of Israel for destruction and bring disaster on it. For all the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are dedicated to the Lord and must go into the Lord's treasury. So the people shouted and the trumpets sounded. 
When they heard the blast of the trumpet, the people gave a great shout, and the wall collapsed. The people advanced into the city, each man straight ahead, and they captured the city. They completely destroyed everything in the city with the sword, every man and woman, both young and old, every ox, sheep, and donkey. So we've reminded ourselves of the story that we know well. But here's an interesting thing. Jericho strongly fortified because of the Israelites. Now what do Israelites ever done? It wasn't them, it was their God. And what is important here is this, in this understanding of the kingdom entering into the kingdom of God, we have to recognize that it is God's kingdom and it is necessary for that which has to be taken because that's the way we enter in. That which has to be taken, the message of it should be running ahead. In other words, the ungodliness of this world as it carries on in its own way, should be aware of the power of our God. Now, perhaps in the day that we live in, that is rarely known. And that makes it difficult for us, doesn't it, as Christians, living in a fallen world, when the Christian is thought as... I don't know what we taught us anymore. It's difficult to say. Oh, we live in the past. We're fools. Now, that's all right for them to think like that about us. We're not concerned about that. But these people had heard of God's doings. Now, if we are to be a people who know how to enter this kingdom that, that God has placed before us, the freedom of what it really means to be in Christ, there should be some evidence of the greatness of God. Now, the world can say what it likes about that, but the world should be in retreat, not God's people. That is what's happening here. They're in retreat. They're putting these great big uh, barriers up against the children of Israel marching in. Now, in one sense, the world is doing that today um, with what is going on. But it needs to be clearly seen and understood. Uh, we need to be the kind of people who recognize the greatness of God. And even the ungodly somehow should be able to see that through God's people, there is something they need to be afraid of. And this is what was happening here. This is the first city that they take. So it's significant. God is the sovereign Lord. It's his doing. It's not our effort that gets us in the kingdom. We have to play our part. We've talked about that before. But it is the sovereign Lord. See, look, I, I've done this for you. I've handed Jer uh, Jericho over. It's God's doing. It is a gift from the hand of Almighty God to his people. And we must acknowledge him in that. It is not for us to get caught up in all kinds of 
uh, triumphalistic declarations about who we are and who the world is. You don't see that. You see the people marching quietly until the big shout, until the blast of the trumpets. It is not for us to go around shouting the odds, but we do have a message to bring. And the message is the greatness of God. And it needs to be real. There needs to be evidence of it. Not just hollow words. There must be a reference point. God did this. And it is interesting in the way they do this. Because we have two numbers at play here. We have six and we have seven. Our six is the number of man. Seven is the number of God's perfection. And it is interesting the way God does this. And he does it orderly, quietly. But he says, off you go, march round six days. Did that accomplish the walls falling down? No, it didn't. It was obedience, so that's good. And they had to do their part. In other words, they had to do what God told them to do. And it sets the scene. And this is how God is with the kingdom. It is not our strength that accomplishes it. It is not our hard works that accomplishes it. It is not our much noise and shouting that accomplishes it. We do what God tells us to do. So there's obedience. There's faith. God has already said it's yours. And so they do what he says. But then the seventh, that's God's completion. That's God's doing. That's God's action in the matter. And he says, join with me, now you can shout. But he did it. This is remarkable. They didn't need to get their swords out. Now, there were battles that it was proper for them to do that, but this is the first city. And it sets an understanding for us. It sets the scene. It's miraculous. They did not have to fight their way in. They walked in as God did his remarkable work that is the greatness of our God he is wonderful he is powerful he is the sovereign Lord he will do what he says he will do that's who he is now we got some difficulties with this passage there's some difficult issues here and it's concerning what happened next it's something that I think we struggle with. So God did it. The city walls collapsed. There's nothing in the way. They march in. God is the sovereign Lord. There is much to rejoice in. Then out come the swords. And there is destruction. There is an obliteration of the people of the city. There's an exception, of course. We'll talk about that in a moment. This is one of the problems that many people have with the Old Testament, isn't it? God says, go and kill them. And they did. And actually, in Israel's history, when they didn't do it, there was trouble. 
Now that seems that seems brutal. I, you know what I think. The, the first issue for us is this: we we read stories like this, and emotionally, we struggle with it. I, I think that's okay. <laughs> this is tough stuff. Is God being unfair? Uh, is he being too tough here? Well, I don't think we dare even say things like that because we know who he is. He's good. But he did do it. He did say it. But here's an issue to think about. Because it is difficult to understand. He'd already said before you go into the land and get rid of them all. These these pagans, there's no room for them in this place. Now I think down in history there's been some really, really um, bad understanding and bad action by uh, Christian groups that have actually taken the sword uh, to other people to get them out of their geographical territory and I think that's an absolute disgrace. It's nothing to do with the kingdom of God. But think of it like this. These people, in their extreme wickedness, if you ever do a little bit of a study on the way these people lived, they were absolutely vile. They've been like that for generations. But it was not as if God had not given them a witness of who he was, his purposes, and his great power. It's because he had given that witness that they had shut the city up. So they knew. I think that's important, don't you? They knew. It's not as if there they are doing their own thing and, and then suddenly bang, they're dead. They knew. Didn't the people know in the days of Noah? They knew. So their behavior was absolutely accountable. I would not doubt that in their history uh, they would have some kind of stories, record of what God did in the days of Noah. These people knew and yet they continued to choose their wickedness. So it's not as if God is without mercy because he is with mercy. We see that with Rahab. There was an opportunity. She knew I'm going over to that side. I'm going to worship that God. And she did. And God protected her. Nobody else did. So as much as it is difficult uh, from the emotional point of view, and even sometimes the thought process is this just, is it not? I think we really do have to trust in the absolute almightiness and wisdom and goodness of God. But why did he do it anyway? The land, uh, this promised land, this kingdom, was the place that was to tell a story that would prepare the world for the coming Messiah of God, the greatest act of love that has ever been. And so not only is God the sovereign Lord, he is holy. 
In other words, if he is holy, if he takes a land, and this is the, the whole story of Moses in the wilderness and, the, uh, and uh, the, the symbolism that was in the, the ark and the tabernacle and all the things that were in the law, the distinction between what was God's and what was not acceptable to God. And in the kingdom of God, there is no room for anything that is sin. In the kingdom of God, there is no room for anything that is less than suitable to be called in connection to God in holiness. So they had to go. It's not that he's being cruel. He knew them. He knew the very depth of their being. God had been rejected by them. Rahab didn't reject, did she? She grasped hold. So we learn in this, this, this first uh, movement into taking a city that represents the whole of the kingdom, really, is that God is a holy God. His people are a holy people. They belong to him. And that in his kingdom, there is no room. There is no place for anything that is not holy. And of course, God is good. That's why judgment comes. If he's good, you have to have something to measure his goodness by. And so judgment comes against anything that is not good. But we see this thread of the mercy of God in the story because he makes sure that this this woman, Rahab, and her family, they kept safe. So we see that in this kingdom, there is room, plenty of room, but there is room only for those who will come to him and bow the knee to him and acknowledge who he really is. At Jericho, it was an old, old city. It went back many years. It had history. And it does represent to us, and we see it later on in the day of Jesus, it represents to us the fallenness of this world. But it also represents that there is always room for someone who repents to come and be included. It is in the kingdom that the children of Israel, those who are faithful to God, it is in that kingdom that they would truly discover who they were. They didn't have a clue when they were in the desert. Their background in their memory, fine, they knew about Abraham. But their experienced background was slaves. In, in the wilderness, they knew the, the power of God and the provision of God, but they were like children. They did not know how to take responsibility for themselves. In fact, they were prone to grumbling. They had no real sense of identity. They were not yet a nation. And even when they first got into uh, the kingdom that God was preparing for them, they didn't know nationhood, really. That uh, took them a long time before they discovered that. 
but the kingdom of God for God's people in the day that we are in, we know it has nothing whatsoever to do with geography, nationality, all of those boundaries that the world is made up of. The kingdom of God is about an identity. We belong to God. I belong to God. He is holy. I cannot even approach him except that he calls me to draw near. You see, it's full of paradox. It's wonderful. It, it, it's a kingdom where you've got to take responsibility for what you do and what your actions are. But in the kingdom, it's God who rules. It's an absolute theocracy. His will be done. It's about that. And this remarkable incident of Jericho sets the scene for all of that. It shows the unity of God's people in the kingdom. We know it's not in the church, which is sad there should be, but it's not real. But in the kingdom, because the kingdom is where God rules. And if God rules, you better do what you say. Well, actually, why would you do otherwise anyway? Because now you're a kingdom person. You're living that way. And in the kingdom, it's, it's one people. They march together. They're ready. They're waiting. And the moment comes when you do have to blow the trumpet. The moment comes when you do have to give the shout. But it's when God says, God directs it all, and we are his. And so Jericho, the oldest known city in the history of this world, falls. And everything that is not of God is annihilated. Well, that reminds me of something here. It reminds me that in the purposes of God and the way that God works, he sets the scene for us in history. And progressively in history, he shows us more of his nature, more of his purposes. But he's consistent. It's very interesting when you get into the book of the Revelation that you've got all this demonic stuff coming against God's people right up towards the end. And it looks as if there's going to be a massive, massive battle. It's called Armageddon. But was there a battle? Actually, no. God sends his fire down, it's done. You see, the battle is the Lord's, not ours, really. It's consistent. If we don't like the idea that, that particularly in the Old Testament, <coughs> we've got examples where uh, the, these wicked, wicked pagan nations. God said, you've got to eliminate them. The day is coming. It's not, none of this is comfortable, but the day is coming when anybody who stands against him, what's going to happen? Well, it's called hell. The judgment of God. So it's coming anyway. And, and God uses these examples, and this is, this is a, an example really of, of the mercy of God. You could call it the, the tough mercy of God, if you like, the extreme mercy of God. 
is that he shows down through the ages there's a day coming. If you don't get on board, this is what's going to happen. And so every time there's something like this, and you read it in the Bible, you go, oh, this is tough. I don't understand it. And maybe we don't fully understand it, but I don't understand this. Well, it speaks of a day that is coming, but it speaks of the triumph of God. It speaks of the fact that the goodness of God must prevail over everything that is evil and that in eternity there is no room for any more evil or rebellion. That's actually good news. And even in it, there is always that place of mercy, the offer that God makes. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll save a city if... If there's just a, just a few folks, I'll save it. I'll save Rahab. And I'll save her family. You see, the mercy of God is always there. And if the mercy of God is made any easier, perhaps it isn't mercy at all. Perhaps it's weakness. But God isn't like that. He is good. And his goodness will prevail and his kingdom will last forever. Amen. Thank you for joining us. True Foundations is headed by David J. Jones, a preacher and teacher of the Word of God. His passion is to help individual Christians discover their true identity in Christ and to learn how grace operates in their lives. Currently residing in Canada, he is taught in both North America and the UK and has listeners all over the world. If you have questions about anything you've heard today, please email us at info at truefoundations.ca. Or for more information on True Foundations resources, please visit our website at truefoundations.ca.